This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hockey Central here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Women's World Championships are over. I am back. Just in time for the busiest time in the NHL. There's coaches changes, GM changes, uh, season-ending media availabilities, and we're one day, four games into the first round of the playoffs. This is my favorite part of the postseason. Like up until the the day that the cup gets awarded, maybe there's a couple good series here and there after the first round, but this is the best part of the playoffs because uh, there's hockey every night. There's games on for hours. I can sit on my couch and just watch hockey for hours and hours. I stayed up watching the entire double OT between uh, the Wild and the Stars last night. Started watching the games at 7. It was a good night. This is my favorite time of year. Uh, Obviously, the news yesterday was that Broadtree Living and the Flames have mutually parted ways. That's the news here in Calgary. Don Maloney and John Bean spoke to the media yesterday. Uh, We'll get into that uh, a bit and what comes next for the Calgary Flames with Pat Steinberg coming up at the top of the hour. Uh, yes, Hockey Central's back and so is the Pat Chat. And then later on in the show, Molly Walker from the New York Post is going to join us to tee up probably one of my favorite matchups, at least on paper. We'll see how, how game one goes tonight, uh, but that's between the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils. We do have Pat on the line, so let's bring him in on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. Bring him in for a little bit of this round one playoff chat because there's a lot to get into before we do get into the flames pat what's up i've missed you i was gone for a few weeks (laughs) thank you thank you world championships was fun yeah i'm sure nobody did false that's okay (laughs) so i think the big question with the first round of the playoffs obviously the flames not in it what's the team that calgary fans care the most about right now is it the la kings yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> I uh, I certainly uh, I saw plenty of I I didn't I'm not gonna lie I I did a little fist pump when uh, L A sent it to overtime with what 17 <laughs> seconds to go last night. Uh, I I think it's L A. Um, that's the number one rival of the Flames, the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, they had such a ridiculous regular season that I think that most people. Uh, in this market, despite knowing that the Oilers had a better season than the Flames. Nobody's disputing that. Nobody's suggesting that the Flames are in a better spot or anything like that. But um, to see them lose like they did in Game 1, I can imagine there would be a few uh, or the vast majority of Flames fans who were pretty happy about that. I, I really... I think for a lot of Flames fans, it's anybody but Edmonton at this point, and that's the way it should be. I don't, I don't. If you're a Flames fan and you're cheering for the Oilers, um, I, I would have trouble processing that. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that Kings series is gonna be great. When I saw that it was gonna be another first round matchup between the Kings and the Oilers this season, uh, I was pretty excited because that series last year was a lot of fun, and the LA Kings have gotten better. I know Jonathan Quick was unbelievable in the first round last year. It was very 2012 Jonathan Quick, but Jonas Corposalo has been an upgrade in net yep. for the LA Kings this season. As shocking as it was to see uh, Jonathan Quick traded, um, but they get Kevin Fiala. Uh, you know, they make so many good little moves. The Kings are probably a more complete team than the Edmonton Oilers, I would say. The Oilers have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins had 
probably an underrated season because he plays on the Oilers behind Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. But he was good this year. Matthias Ekholm was a great addition. Gavrikov, really good. Like, they beefed up their blue line, but I do think that when you look at the Canes, you look at their defense, uh, you look at some of their forward lines, I think that's a really good matchup between these two teams. And Edmonton came out flying in the first period. They were the better team for the first half, but L.A. had an amazing third. No Kevin Fiala, no problem. They come back and win that series. Like, that was uh, that, that game, excuse me. So I think we're in for, for a couple more good ones. Yeah, no, they didn't win the series. I, I apologize. It's, it's been one day. I, I'm already exhausted. But, um, you know, but I think that's going to be a really fun one, I think. I was, I was thinking about I, I was I was flipping between that game and the Minnesota-Dallas game last yes. night. And, that's going to be the so, best series the first round, I think. Minnesota Dallas great game yeah. one was great and and I, I think I probably watched about of of the of the two games probably sixty percent Oilers Kings forty percent Minnesota uh, Minnesota Dallas mm-hmm. although Minnesota Dallas's overtime was way better than yeah. Edmonton Los Angeles and by the way anybody who thinks that goal should have counted uh, the Derek Ryan clearly knocked in with a high stick come on um, <laughs> I just I I think. The and it's not like this wasn't the case last year because Dano and Arvidsson were both members of the Kings last year as well. Mm-hmm. But with the way Kopitar is playing right now, and I thought he was dynamite as that game went along. Uh, him and Kempe with Byfield on their left have been a really nice line for a while now for Los Angeles, and so. Kempe is a smart player who can obviously score back-to-back 30-plus goal seasons. But that, that's a line that, that Todd McClellan can trust against anyone. And so if if they draw the McDavid line or if they draw the dry side of line, you're fine. But when you've got a line with Dano, Arvidsson, and Moore on it, I think Trevor Moore is one of the most underrated wingers in the NHL. And then you've got yeah. one of the best shutdown centers and one of the best shutdown two-way wingers in the league uh, in Dano and Arvidsson respectively. I like that matchup a lot for Los Angeles in terms of the way they can go up against McDavid and Drysaddle. And obviously, you, you, I'm, I'm not suggesting they're going to shut them down every single night because that's impossible. <laughs> but I just, if there is a first round matchup that I like the forward matchups for an Oilers opposition best for, it was the Kings. You mentioned Gavrikov yes. going out and beefing up their blue line as well. Mm-hmm. And now you've got yep. two I think I said he was he beefed up the Oilers blue line. That was a mistake. Gavrikov beefed up the Kings blue line. I knew what you meant. Let's just make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> Thank I you. I knew what you meant. Um, and I think this one's probably going six or seven again. And the Oilers look uh-huh. great for part of that game. They made a couple of mistakes that I think that many people – believe that this group had grown out of well sometimes you make mistakes I'm not here suggesting the series is over for Edmonton by any means I just don't I never thought it was going to be a walk for Edmonton I never thought it was going to be a short series these two teams are pretty evenly matched I don't think it's really all that different than when the Kings had a 3-2 series lead and Connor McDavid put the team on his back in round one last year and and started an incredible run where the Oilers won like what six of the next seven games including four against Calgary so I I still think the Oilers probably win this series I just and I'm hopefully jinxing it um but I think it's going to be tough just like last year's series was maybe even tougher and they're going to need a better 97 performance than what they got last night because I thought Uh by McDavid standards he was pretty invisible especially after the first 10 minutes or so of the first period I think it was almost like a humbling game one for the Oilers I think they went into this game as 
you know, kind of the favorite to come out of the Western Conference. And, you know, at the Athletic, we did our playoff predictions. And, and I mean, I think they were voted to be the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Like, people had them beating the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup final and going all the way to the promised land. And there was all this excitement and anticipation, all these expectations uh, that led to... <laughs> game one pain for for the Edmonton Oilers um so they've got to be better over the whole game I think again they had a really good start really great first period and they let the foot off the gas and and the Kings got back into the game um that should have been the first step into fulfilling their promise and turning all these fantasies of of Oilers fans into reality and and they they lose an OT to the LA Kings who are without you know one of their if not their most skilled uh, forward and Kevin Fiala. So again, that's going to be yep. that's going to be a fun series. Going to be a good one. I thought the best game of the night last night was uh, between the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars. I was going to spend some time talking about that before before you came on, but we came in late and you're here, so we can get into this a bit, and then we'll go into talking a bit about the Flames, Pat. Um, I know you had your show yesterday, and, and there's been lots of talk about uh, Brad Tree Living. Uh, I don't have a show on Mondays, so unfortunately we are day a day late on some of that, but we'll get into it. But first, that Dallas. Minnesota game and that series is going to be a battle it needed double OT it was the longest game in wild franchise history Minnesota wins it on a Ryan Hartman game winner at 1 a.m. on the dot local time Uh, and Hartman was like very clearly hurting on the bench uh, from the third period on Um, Ottinger was excellent we don't need to tell anybody in Calgary about that everybody knows what that guy can do in the postseason Uh, but Philip Gustafson 51 saves in his playoff debut, just the fifth goalie in NHL history to record 51-plus in a playoff debut. That swap with the Sens last summer for Cam Talbot looks like such a tidy piece of work by Bill Guerin. Uh, when I think in reality it was just like Cam Talbot doesn't want to be here, whatever, go. Uh, the Sens, who swapped a young promising goalie for Cam Talbot, doesn't look so hot. Um, but the big story of that game was Joe Pavelski leaving after a big hit from Matt Dumba. It was very unsettling to see him on the ice like that, especially because we've seen Pavelski in a situation like that before back in 2019 with the Sharks in the series against the Golden Knights. Uh, Pavelski was, I mean, he's an ageless veteran. He was excellent this season. He's a gamer in the playoffs. Um, there was a lot of debate over that hit whether it was late or clean, what have you. I I don't know if you have a take on it, Pat. Mine is like, yes, it was shoulder to shoulder. Although I did see um, a a slower down replay that looked like he got him right on the chin. Um, Regardless of that debate, the puck was gone. Dumba took a stride or two, elevated the hit and caused an injury. Like if, if that is legal, I think that's a problem. And a lot of people are saying, like, that's playoffs, baby. Here we go. I would rather see a Pavelski one-timer <laughs> or, like, a great pass to Jason Robertson for a big goal than seeing him motionless on the ice. Like, I'm not I'm not a rah-rah, get-hitting-out-a-hockey person. I, I think fighting is fun. Like, I will be honest. Like, big hits, big fights, I think there is a place in hockey for that. But last night, in a moment like that, it's just another reminder of, like... Ugh, there's there needs to be something a little bit more done to protect these people because they are humans at the end of the day. So the problem I have with all of this is because jo- and and it's funny you bring in the the 2019 hit that uh, ended the five up five minute major <laughs> that ended up 
ending Vegas's season, and who knows where Vegas goes that year had that play not happened. And there was a lot of debate about that. And and this is it's just coincidence that Joe Pavelski was involved in both of them. So let's let's take that out of the conversation. This has nothing to do with with Joe himself. The guy is one of my favorite all-timers in the NHL on and off the ice. I just love the way that he approaches things on and off the ice. And and so that that was unsettling to see him down like that in 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 the game against Minnesota. And yet so Dumba delivers that hit and Joe doesn't get hurt. What are we talking about? And and again, this is part of my issue with where we are in the NHL right now is that I think sometimes we react too much to the result of something and mm-hmm. if the result doesn't end if, if Joe gets right back up and finishes that shift and I wish he would have but he doesn't he he gets laid out yeah, and and um, he hit his head on the ice and I think that is at least from what I saw is is why he was down the way he wasn't for as long as he was but if he gets right back up what are we talking about and so if the NHL to your point, wants to get some of these injuries out of the game, then they have to make sure, and I, I don't even agree with this, because I, honestly, after I saw it on in, in full-time, I'm kind of on the other side of, of you. I thought it was a playoff hit, and hmm. we glorify the finishing of checks and the leeway that is given for physicality in the playoffs, we we glorify that in the NHL, and, and it's part of what makes the Stanley Cup playoffs what it is. You don't see hits like that on every shift in the regular season. Another notch gets taken or another, another turn of the dial uh, we see once the playoffs begin. As soon as the puck drops in a series for game one, it's a different hockey game. And so... Unless they're going to say that you can't hit guys, if they're if, unless they're going to penalize every check that is two or three seconds after the puck is gone, like guys finishing mm-hmm. there. I, I, you weren't here in 2015, but Michael Furland in the first round against Vancouver was taking a charging penalty on every play, and it may it helped them. It may have been the leading thing that won a series for the Calgary Flames against Vancouver because Kevin Bieksa and that blue line could not handle this absolute wrecking ball, but they were probably boarding or charging calls on, on 70% of the hits, but it's the playoffs, so that stuff, the, the, the standard changes. And so Matt Dumba's hit was what I saw, shoulder to shoulder, and mm-hmm. was a split second after the puck was gone in real time, he absolutely destroyed Joe Pavelski, and I I was sick because I hate seeing Joe down like that because he's had a history of concussions, but if if we don't see those hits, then all of a sudden, and and you you take those out of it, then all of a sudden people are screaming that the playoffs have gone soft and stuff like that, and I just, I I think it's really difficult to find, it's difficult to find a gray area because... I, I don't know if you heard Leah Hextall talking to Dean Evison on the bench or even listening to, to Brian Boucher on commentary talking about how Minnesota's main game plan in this series was to be the physically dominant team. So you've got a coach in Dean Evison who has his team dialed like that, and, and that was part of their identity through 82 games of the regular season, and then right. he's got his team dialed on that going into the regular season. Well, of course Matt Dumba's going to finish a hit, and I thought that sure. he did so. My problem with, with that? 
that, Pat. Sorry. My problem with that is the the amount, like the conversations about when Kirill Kaprizov gets hit, you know? So it should be... If that made any sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And I think being like the physically dominant team... It, and that's the game plan, right? They were talking about the game plan is you got to take out Jason Roberts and you got to hit him. You got to keep going to the body, like make sure he's not going to be effective. And that's the game plan. But then they complain if Kirill Kaprizov get, gets hit. So it's like, yeah, that, that's the other team's game plan, too. So I thought it was a great game. I think there is a lot of gray area. I do think with the Pavelski hit, we're looking at the results a bit more as you said if, if he jumps right back up you're like wow that was a crazy hit by matt dumba um but because he was laying there the way that he was we're having a different conversation today and i like so here and i'll just I'll, I'll quickly bring it back to a calgary example you go back to early february when jacob truba at like jacob truba tasmanian deviled nazim kadri in in that hit yeah. against the rangers like it looked like it looked like a cartoon no question that that was flying a everywhere hit, you had like a dust bubble it it was but what if kadri's hurt and I wonder what the con- if if Kadri doesn't jump right back up and kind of get out of the way as his teammates go to fight that battle. Um, and I'm not that's not a criticism of Kadri. He was still like, "Holy, I just got I just got my lights blown up." Like I'm just going to step away here for a second. But mm-hmm. if if Kadri doesn't get back up and finish that game and and play the rest of the season, I just wonder what we're talking about is that are we talking about that being a predatory hit from Truba are we talking about that being over the line and I only bring that up because it goes back to the result versus the hit and if the NHL wants to limit the result then they've got to say no open ice hitting and if they don't then you have to deem what is clean and what is not clean. And if there is an injury as a result, then we have to say it goes along with the inherent risk of being a national hockey leaguer. So they, they, they can't have the gray area if they, they, they either, you have to have it, at least in my opinion, one way or the other. Either the open ice hitting sure. you can't have, or you can have it, and if it's deemed within the rules, like I thought Dumba's was and like I thought Truba's was, then you have to be okay with the result of an injury. And I don't mean like, okay, like, oh, it's nothing, but it's like, okay, it's part of the risk. And and anywhere in between, and you get into these debates where there's kind of no right or wrong answer. Yep. Yep, pretty much. I think one of the things that's probably the problem with this is, like, interference penalties are so open to interpretation like the way that they're written it's very open-ended so it's like okay well if you like freeze frame it and you count it's probably like one second after the puck left to stick is that interference like how how long does the puck need to be off a guy's stick for it to be interference how many steps does it need to be for it to be charging like there was just a lot of gray yesterday and i do think part of it when you looked at some of the slow-mos as well like there was like uh, Pavelski's stick or, or the other guy from the wild stick got involved it was just uh, the end result was just awful it, it looks like Joe Pavelski is okay in the fa- in the sense that he's you know walking on his own he wasn't at the yep. rink today I don't think um, they're not confident he's going to play in game two which would be a huge loss for the Dallas Stars in this series he was one third of one of the best lines in the NHL over the last two years so at the end of the day like uh, you just hope that Joe Pavelski is going to be all right. Um, let's move on to the Calgary Flames, though, Pat, because this is our this is our Pat chat here. We got to talk about Flames a little bit. 
Uh, the big news yesterday, obviously, is that Brad Tree Living won't be back as Flames GM. Uh, you spoke with Elliot Friedman on Flames Talk yesterday. Um, it sounds like they weren't able to come to an agreement on a new contract. Like, What can you tell us, Pat, about Tree Living leaving the organization after nine years and, and what might be coming next for Calgary? Well, okay, so what I believe happened here is all along there was a desire to some extent on both sides to keep the relationship going. Um, so I think that there was a desire on Brad True Living to stay with the Calgary Flames if certain things were met. And there was a desire for the Flames to keep Brad True Living if he accepted the contract that they were willing to give. And the problem is um, they weren't able, at least at least from how I understand it, and I'm pretty confident in this, that they weren't able to get to that middle. I think the season the Flames just had played a part in it on both sides, frustration on the way things were handled and just the, the overall weight and annoyances and tax that this season put on Brad Tree Living and the frustration and, and disappointment that goes into it from an organizational standpoint about how these teams fell so short of expectations. I think it made it more difficult for some of those steps to be taken. In the end, my belief is this came down to term. I believe that when Brad Tree Living was offered his contract extension at the same time Daryl was offered his back just before a right as training camp was getting going, they were the same terms. And I think Brad was looking for a little bit more, a little insurance. And honestly, I don't blame him by in, in, in a single shred. I don't blame him for wanting more than two years. I don't blame him, especially as the season went along, for wanting a little bit of insurance. Because I don't think, I think the term, yeah, maybe it was a power struggle. Maybe maybe to not call it a power struggle is, is trying to gloss over it. I think that some of the strained nature of the relationship as the season went along between Daryl and, and Brad True Living made it as such that I, I think that having that extra year or two helps keep the balance of power where it probably should be, where the general manager makes the hockey ops decisions and the coach coaches the team. And so as as the year went along and as the year turned into what was uh, 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 an unmitigated disaster in so many ways, I think it became harder for the Flames to say, yeah, yeah, we're willing to go longer than two years. And and Brad, to his credit, held firm on not wanting uh, to to only sign for two years. I think if, if that's not the only reason, I think it was one of the big reasons why we are where we are. And I don't I don't blame Brad at all for that. And I also think let's just put put ourselves in his shoes. So nine years with the organization, a frustrating year. Obviously, things weren't exactly where you'd want them to be in terms of same pages with coach and, and GM. And so he knows that he's got cachet. He knows that he could easily be in the mix for a Pittsburgh job or any other job that might open up here. And and let's not be let's not be crazy. I mean they're there could very easily be a few other general manager jobs that open up here in the next couple of uh, next couple of weeks, whether it be uh, an early playoff exit. Like the people wonder what's going to happen in Toronto. We already know Pittsburgh mm-hmm. is open. Uh, you've also got you know there's there's some teams that had really disappointing seasons that are doing audits as we speak, and maybe something happens there. So Brad True Living knows that if there is a job that comes open, he will be a candidate and a strong one. So he knows his market value. He knows he's been 
here for nine years, and I don't I don't blame him if if there were things that he was not willing to concede on. And from a Flames standpoint, you're looking at a frustrating season, a year where they failed to meet expectations in such a huge way that. I think you you probably um, I, I can at the very least understand a little bit of not wanting to not wanting to meet all the demands from your general manager in nine years when there is an opportunity if he decides not to take your contract offer that you can go in a different direction and maybe some change is needed. So I kind of see it on on both sides. I do. I worry a little bit more or I'm a little more concerned about it from a flame standpoint because I just think you can do a whole lot worse than Brad as your general manager. I'm not saying that Brad did a perfect job. Look, they never got out of the second round. They, the, the most they uh, were able to accomplish was one second round win in a couple of seasons under this general manager in nine years. So it's not like this was an overwhelmingly successful tenure, but in a Canadian market, to take a team that was kind of in direish straits that was just starting a rebuild and to take them from where they were when he took over in late April, early May 2014 and to where they were about nine years later when he leaves, I think the team is a better team and is in better shape and has better processes behind the scenes now than when he took over. And so... If I were to lean successful or unsuccessful, I would lean that his tenure over nine years was a successful one. And while it wasn't ultimately successful and the playoffs were not a yearly thing and playoff success was fleeting, I still think he did a good good enough job here to continue a vision that he, a brand new vision that he set in place this offseason with all of the movement that we saw. And, and I think he should have, I would have anyway given him the opportunity to see it through. But again, there was kind of that unwillingness on both sides to take that next step to get to the middle. And here we are. And I think both sides are, I'm trying to think of the right word. I think, that I, I think both sides are disappointed that, they're not continuing this relationship. I think Brad's disappointed that he is walking away, and I think that the organization's disappointed that they weren't able to get him to come back either. And here we are, and a brand-new general manager search is underway. And I do think that the the one positive about all of this is that I think they're just listening and talking to Don Maloney yesterday, and like we're not talking about a guy who has any delusions or any illusions of what this job might be. He knows what he's here Uh for. He turned down being the general manager. He feels like he's had his opportunity to be a GM in this league. He's kind of in this spot where he wants to hire the next guy and hand the hockey ops keys to him. And, and that to me is a positive thing you've got a veteran guy with all kinds of NHL experience as your president of hockey operations that can kind of buffer things between the ownership and business side of things and the hockey ops side of things. And and that, to me, might be the... And I thought about this a lot last night. That might be the biggest positive coming out of this is that they do have that guy in place. And, and I think that that'll help my general manager when it's all said and done. At least I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, we only have maybe two minutes left here with you, Pat, before we go to break. But I think it's curious. This was the next kind of question I wanted to ask you is like, who is that next guy? Like when I hear Don Maloney saying yesterday that they want a progressive thinker, that makes me mm-hmm. think more of the Eric Tulskis of the world. Although I, I think Eric Tulski is going to be uh, 
in high demand this year, <clears throat> uh, like with the Pittsburgh Penguins, perhaps. I think Tulski is one of those forward thinking. He's young. He's done a really good job in Carolina. Like I'm thinking more Tulski when I'm hearing him talk about progressive thinkers, the next big GM. But I do think a lot of people are wondering, specifically in the text line, is what does that kind of statement mean for somebody like Craig Conroy? Is he one of those young, up-and-coming GM progressive thinkers, or are we going to be in a spot where Craig Conroy has worked in this organization for a decade and is not going to get a chance to be its general manager. I think that he'll get a long look. I think he should get a long look. I think they've got a couple of internal candidates that are interesting. You know, Brad Pascal's also done a hell of a job with the American League team and has been straight mm-hmm. up their general manager for the last number of years. And it's it's not like they've um, struggled on the ice the last couple of seasons. Yeah. But I think for Conroy why there's such a there's a number of reason why, reasons why reasons I'll, I'll be quick on this there's a number of reasons why there's such a, <laughs> a a pull on this one a he's a fan favorite here going back to his playing days when he got here you know 20 years ago 20 years he's been associated with this city save for a couple of years when he was in LA uh so there's that and he's also been at this for more than 12 years he has touched every part of hockey operations as the assistant general manager he's done a great job scouting college free agents he has done a very strong job helping them in the draft and he's a big reason why under Brad True Living the drafting philosophy has changed and has become significantly more successful than it was under either Daryl Sutter or Jay Feaster the two prior regimes um he's done contracts he's done plenty of scouting he's been on the ice I just think if you're looking for a young progressive and up-and-coming guy that has done everything in hockey operations kind of like what tree had done in Arizona prior to them hiring him here in Calgary you've got that guy right there in Craig Conroy and so I think that's why there is this pull and saying why not like why not give him that opportunity so I I believe Elliot said it as much that he's going to get a long look. I believe he should get a long look, and I hope that they do give him some significant consideration here. And I think there'd be a lot of people if they went that way. And regardless, if it's Connie or anybody else, if it's Brad Pascal or if it's uh, if it's somebody else, like you mentioned, Tulski or somebody else out there in that vein. I think that's the way they should go. I don't know if going the Chuck Fletcher route or somebody like Ron that Hextall? is necessary. Ron Hextall, <laughs> Chuck Fletcher. I would not go that route if I was the Flames. No, I don't think that they should. Um, all right, this is great, Pat. There's obviously a lot that we can dig into with, with the future of this team, but we've got weeks and weeks, uh, lots of time to dive into that. So uh, we'll do that again next week or the week after on our Pat Chats. Thank you. Okay, bye, friend. All right, there goes Pat Steinberg. Uh, he's the host of Flames Talk. You hear him all the time here on Sportsnet 960. And that conversation was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take order delivery at 403-248-3344. We're going to head to a quick break. And coming up next, we're going to talk to Molly Walker. She is an NHL uh, writer at the New York Post, is the beat writer at that uh at that paper for the New York Rangers, we're going to tee up one of my favorite matchups in this first round. It's the New York Rangers versus the New Jersey Devils. That'll be coming up next on Sports at 960 Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, welcome back to the program. Final, uh, 
20 minutes or so here. 15 went a little bit long with Pat because he just talks so much. Uh, it's not my fault at all. We're going to head right back to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline, though, because we have Molly Walker on the line. She is the Rangers beat reporter with the New York Post. Uh, I said this before we went to break. Molly, this is one of my most anticipated playoff matchups in the first round here between the Rangers and the Devils, and I'm very excited to talk about this with you. Uh, I know you're in Newark for game one. What's uh, what's the anticipation like over there? It's it's pretty high. I think it has been all week, and I know from covering this Rangers team that it, it felt like they've been looking forward to the playoffs since game one, which, which really kind of played a factor into a bit of a slow start for them. So I think that everybody's just been waiting to get to this point for a while. So anticipation is high, and everybody knows that this is the kind of series that will reignite a really, really great rivalry. Oh, it's great. Now, uh, you did a great piece. Uh, I mean, lots of great content in the New York Post from you over the last 24 hours in anticipation of this matchup. And one of them was looking head to head at, you know, the history between these two teams. I mean, I almost forgot about some of the iconic moments of this rivalry. It's, you know, Martin Brodeur and Sean Avery, like refusing to shake hands in what, 2008. Like there's just so much history between these two organizations and now we've got this kind of next generation of it and and i can't wait to see how it takes shape between these two teams and i think what makes this matchup so interesting to me is like you've got the young stars in jack hughes and nico heischer even luke hughes up against like more established stars uh you've got the the big deadline acquisitions and Kane and Timo Meyer going up against each other. You've got Igor Shesterkin against Vitek Vanacek. Like you could just go down the list. Like there's, there's going to be a lot to chew on here. Yeah, it's an absolutely loaded playoff series. I mean, both teams have four first overall picks, 19 first round picks, just a lot of high end talent pretty evenly spread across both teams. I said that their forward groups are just about dead even in terms of depth and high skill um, and what they bring uh, to the ice. I, uh, I think it's just going to be an absolute showcase of high-end talent. I, I'm, I'm with you, maybe just because I'm covering it, but it's definitely one of the <laughs> most anticipated series and, and one that everybody should be really excited. And you know, to your point about all the history, I think all the players really understand that i think that's been a topic of conversation in both locker rooms um just all the previous playoff meetings and all the big time games that a lot of these guys grew up watching i know adam fox was talking about the adam henrique goal the other day um and he was obviously a rangers fan growing up so you know uh he was the first one on the ice this morning so you know i think maybe he's looking forward to uh, some redemption Um, I mean, what are some of the key matchups that, that you're keeping an eye out for? You know, if, if the Rangers are going to be successful in this series, like what are the matchups that need to go their way? Well, I think for the Rangers, it, it, in any matchup, Igor Shesterkin has to be at the absolute top of his game, especially against a high-powered Devils team who really just likes to push it and put it in the back of the net. Um, Igor Shesterkin has to be his otherworldly self because – if you look at him and Vitek Vanacek, as great as Vanacek has been this season, and, and he's been huge for the Devils in general um, to get them to, to get them to where they are today. Uh, but Igor Shesterkin just has the edge there, 100%. So as long as he plays to that, I think the Devils uh, will have a bit of a tough time. But I also think, in terms of matchups, the Rangers forward group 
they are an older veteran seasoned group in comparison to the to the Jack Hughes and the Nico Hushers and the Jesper Bratz, um, like you mentioned. So they need to play to that role. They need to be the ones that show up with the playoff experience that know what to expect um, and maybe rattle the young guys on the other on the other side. So that'll definitely be huge. I think it's goaltending and uh, the forward matchup is uh, what it's going to come down to in this series. Conventional wisdom definitely tells us that the Devils aren't quite ready for this to be their moment, right? Like jumping from being in the bottom of the league to winning a playoff series is a pretty big leap. Uh, and, and as you said, you know, the Rangers are kind of the better, more veteran proven team. But the one thing I'm looking at on the Devils side is is if they can set the pace of play and play the way that they do, like their style, which is like really fast off the rush, as you mentioned, Molly. Like they, they really like to push the pace. They like to play in transition. They're one of the best teams in terms of transition offense, where the Rangers are a bit more middle of the pack when it comes to, to you know, goals off the rush. I, I wonder if that's where the Rangers might struggle a bit. Like I, I think the, I assume the goal for the Rangers is to not let this young Devils team like <laughs> set the pace of play here. Yeah, 100%. And I think they did that to the Rangers all regular season long. But to the point about the experience, I mean, the Rangers know better than anybody that playoff experience doesn't matter. I think this is such a unique matchup also because the Devils are facing the exact same narrative that the Rangers were last season. And that didn't mean anything for the Rangers. Everybody said the same thing. They're all young. They had so many guys that hadn't played in a playoff game in their entire careers. And that's what the Devils are now. But, you know, I almost think that some of the – you know, naiveness and and only knowing success in the playoffs kind of makes makes it a little bit easier for these guys. So I think that the Devils are a confident group, you know, led by a guy like Jack Hughes, who is not going to back down to anybody, no matter who is on the other side of the ice. At least that's where it looks like he's heading. We'll, we'll see here. But um, I think that they uh, they definitely – you know, the, as much as everybody makes a big deal about the playoff experience, uh, I think the Rangers are the first-hand example of that not meaning anything. So I think that they aren't going to take the Devils lightly for that very reason. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, you know, again, in looking at some of your playoff preview stuff, you had a great story about how Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane had this mm-hmm. long rivalry as as guys who matched up against each other in a big Western Conference rivalry um, when they were with the Blues and, and the Chicago Blackhawks, and now they're coming together on the Rangers, hoping for a big playoff push in, in a new rivalry that they're a part of. Like, What can you tell us about the Tarasenko and Patrick Kane, the almost unlikely kind of connection that they have mm-hmm. on this team now? Yeah, what an awesome, awesome feature that was to write. I really, really enjoyed that. I mean, just to get to write about guys like Patrick Kane and and Vladimir Tarasenko is an absolute honor. And in talking to guys in Chicago and St. Louis, just the amount of respect that that those guys commanded in in those respective teams is it just absolutely leaps off the page. And I think that I think the biggest thing is they're just really hyped not to be not to have to play against each other anymore because they used to give each other such fits. I mean, the two playoff series, 2014 and 2016, between Chicago and St. Louis were absolutely epic. So many overtime winners, crazy three-point games from Tarasenko, two goal games from both of them at the same time. I mean, they really just lit it up uh, on both sides of the ice. And I think that they are now starting to have a bit of a budding friendship, which is kind of cool. They sit next to each other on the Rangers plane. They play backgammon. (laughs) They talk about their childhoods in, in Russia and Buffalo. 
Um, so I think it's a really cool experience for them to have been rivals for so long, but then to team up uh, on this Rangers team that uh, now they share a common goal of winning the Stanley Cup in New York. Um, I think it's really special. I think it's really great for the league. Um, but I just remember after the trade deadline looking at this roster and being like, yeesh, this is like NHL GM mode, you know, in, in, <laughs> in, in, the, in the NHL video game. So uh, it's really cool. And uh, especially for the young guys on the team, um, you know, these are players that they've been looking up to their entire careers. So it's a, it's a really cool moment and um, a really interesting dynamic in the Rangers locker room. I think any time you can have Artemi Panarin on your second line, you're probably doing pretty well for yourselves. <laughs> Yeah, it's an absolutely loaded top six. It really is. But, you know, that's the thing. Because of the additions of Tarasenko and, and Kane, they were able – the kid line is able to stay intact. And then you guys got, got guys like Barkley Goodrow and Jimmy Vesey, who had been fill-ins in the top six for a majority of the regular season, now anchoring the fourth line. And now they've got one of the most formidable fourth lines they've had in, in a really long time. So – uh, it's, you know, both of them are, are pretty much pure rentals for sure. And, you know, the Rangers are going to be right back where they started without two top six right wingers at the start of next season. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, yeah, we can kick that can uh, down right, the road. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right now it's uh, it's looking like a pretty good top six. So like you said, with, with a guy like Artemi Panarin and Vincent Trocek uh, on line two. How important is the kid line going to be for, for this team to have playoff success? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were huge last season for them. Um, I think a lot more impactful than a lot of people thought they were going to be, to be. And they just, they really did thrive, especially a guy like Philip Heedle, who's definitely a player to watch in this series. Um, he's coming off a, a contract extension, so he's feeling really confident in himself and, and ready to make another impact on the playoffs. But, you know, like I said, with the Devils and Rangers top six just being so formidable and, and so capable, the bottom six, the secondary scoring is it could be a, a deciding factor here. So then the kid line has just been an absolute possess, possession machine, both in the playoffs last season and when they were together during the regular season this year. So um, they really they have a, an ability to make a big impact on the games and they could be a deciding factor for sure. How has Alexi Lafreniere kind of settled in after, you know, there, everything that was made about the healthy scratch and his future with the team? There was a lot of noise about that. Um, but it seems like things have maybe settled down there. Like how, how have you kind of tracked Alexi Lafreniere over the, the last, I guess, couple months? Yeah, I think in the last couple of months, he's uh, really been playing some of the best hockey since he's come to New York. Um, I think that it's been a little bit slower of a progression that a lot of people would expect from a first overall pick and for somebody who came with as much hype as he did from juniors. Um, but I really do think that the past few months, he's, he's probably played some of his strongest hockey, um, and that's uh, definitely a testament to playing with Capo Caco and Philip Hedl. It's so obvious how comfortable those three are together um, and how familiar they are with each other, and it gives them an ability to, um, you know, to, to produce together. So I think that his, you know, playing on that line has definitely helped him along a, bit, a little bit and, um, you know, has helped him settle in. But I think uh, – I think there's still more to go. I think the expectations are still pretty high, um, but that's just a testament to, you know, putting in the work in the off season and, and doing what you need to do to get to that level. So I think it's still a work in progress for Alexi Lefrenier, but um, so long as he's skating with Filipino and Capo Caco, I mean, 
as a trio that that could this could be it for the Rangers. You know, this could be a, a trio for the future. I guess the last question here for you, Molly, before we let you go, because it's going to be a, a busy and probably long night for you. You made your playoff picks <laughs> for the post uh, with the Rangers making it to the Eastern Conference final before losing to the Boston Bruins. Why do you think the New York Rangers uh, are going to make a deep playoff run? I, you know, I think that this time around, they know what to expect. And and like I said earlier before, they've been waiting for this for a really long time. I think they've been carrying around this unfit, this feeling of unfinished business for the entire season. And, and I really do think that played a major role into them getting off to a slow start. So I feel like now that they're here, and even with with guys like Patrick Kane and, and Tarasenko, and Tarasenko has been really great, but I feel like Patrick Kane has another level to him and one that he's been saving for this playoff run. So if, if a guy like Patrick Kane comes through and, and is the megastar that he is, um, I think that this Rangers team, and, and if Igor Shosturkin stands on, on his head, as we all know that he can do, I think that this Rangers team could go really far. I do think the Bruins are obviously the team to beat. Um, all these picks are just silly and for fun. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, the Devils are also a very, very adequate matchup for the Rangers, and, and they have absolute uh, potential to take this series as well. But I, uh, I definitely do think the Rangers will, will make another long run here. Uh, take what you want from this. Uh, I told my producer, Cam, this before we came back on, and I wasn't going to share it on the show, but I have a bruise on my leg that is very strangely shaped like the state of New Jersey. So I'm taking this as a sign that the Devils are going to do pretty well. Uh, but we'll see. I think I walked into an oddly shaped chair or something. So Honestly, that's, whatever, that's my omen. tells you. <laughs> that's great. All right. Thanks for the time, Molly, and enjoy the game tonight. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. All right. There goes Molly Walker. She covers the New York Rangers and the NHL for the New York Post. I'm not joking um, about the bruise that Cam can confirm. I told him before uh, when we were in the break. And <laughs> yeah, it's uh, four. If it's a sign, it's a sign, say. you know. <laughs> When you see a sign, you've got to take it. You've got to accept these messages from Absolutely. wherever they're coming from. So uh, devils and four. Um, but honestly, I do think that's going to be a great series. I think the the devils have a lot of young talent. They've got a great offense. Uh, the big question is, how is that going to translate to the postseason? Um, to wrap up the devils conversation, I mean, let's just look around the league very quickly before we end the show. Um Toronto Maple Leafs taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's a 7.30 Eastern puck drop, so 5.30 Mountain in Calgary. Um, I did pick the Leafs to win this one. Eventually, it's going to be their year to get over the hump. I do think it's this one. However, there's a ton of pressure. There's a lot at stake in these playoffs, whereas the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they've got the recipe. They've got the success. They've got the number one goalie who can take over a game. They've got Nikita Kutrov in Braden Point, so it's very hard to go against Tampa, um, who doesn't really have any pressure on them at this point in a playoff series. Um, I do think eventually the Leafs have to get over the hump, and I think this, if it's going to happen, it's going to be this year. Uh, so I did kind of go with the Maple Leafs in that series. Uh, Avs and Kraken tonight as well. I, I mean, the Colorado Avalanche haven't been giving me the exact same, like, wow, they're just going to be a wrecking ball through everybody and win a Stanley Cup like they did last year, but I do think the Avs are going to have a pretty easy time with the Seattle Kraken in 
that first round matchup and then Jets versus Golden Knights rounds out the late games tonight. Uh, Mark Stone will play in game one, uh, the, the Winnipeg Jets, unless Connor Hellebuck is a lockdown and he has a great series. I just don't see this going well for the Jets. Uh, the Golden Knights with Mark Stone, they've just got too much firepower up top. They've got a lot of depth, uh, and the Jets, you know, barely made the postseason, basically only made it because the uh, the Flames and the Preds couldn't, you know, accept the gift that they were being given by the Jets falling apart at the last bit of the season. Uh, so those are games tonight. We'll talk a bit more about all those and what's coming up throughout the playoffs tomorrow on the show. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Hockey Central here on Sports at 960 The Fan.